So the public interest is more important than the workers' interests or those of the company? Is that what that person was saying? Yeah. Is that any different from how we talk about like delays in construction projects today, though? I don't know. I think there are very few things that people care more about than like if a bridge is delayed. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, and this is Let's Find Out, a monthly podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichi, the Sky Gun, on Treaty 6 territory. Each episode, we take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, and then we find out the answers together. Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode, the high-level Inquisition. Susan Paget asks us to find out whether it's true that some of the workers might have died during the construction of Edmonton's high-level bridge. And I should say up front that we'll be talking a lot about death in this episode. Accidental and intentional, including self-harm. So if you're not in a good place to listen to that kind of story, maybe give this episode a miss. It's okay. We'll catch up next month. And if you need someone to talk to, consider calling the Canadian Mental Health Association in Edmonton at 780-482-HELP. This is a story about what meaning death can give a place, and what to do with those memories. It starts right here in our recording studio, aka my office, finally sitting down with Susan, who'd been patiently waiting a long time for us to get to her question. Hi, my name is Susan Paget, and I am a curious Edmontonian. And uh, what, got, what made you get in touch? Well, I've always uh, been a big history buff, and I think Edmontonians don't know enough about their history, so I, I love the podcast, and when I had a question, I decided to contact you. I'm so sorry it's been a year since you reached out to us. It was good timing. I was about to shut down that email that I'd used to contact you, so it worked out all right, yeah. Uh, sometimes it takes a while to chug through the, the backlog. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I can realize that, yeah. And I know you've been busy with the podcast, so that's been fun. Thanks for listening. So you emailed with several things that you were curious about, about the high-level bridge. Um, maybe let's start with just what what makes you curious about the high-level bridge? Uh, what makes me curious about the high-level bridge is how old it is for something that's in Edmonton. I'm, you know... Back in Europe, my relatives, oh, that's new. But here, that's really old. It's, uh, I think, 106 years old now. So I always wonder, you know, why build this tall bridge in the middle of this city that's probably had, I don't know, maybe 5,000 people. I don't know at that time, right? So that kind of thing interests me. For listeners who don't, live in Edmonton, how would you describe the high-level bridge? What would you tell them about it? It is an old uh, iron bridge with tracks on the top where a rail uh, line used to be. Two lanes of traffic going one direction and then sidewalks on either side below that. And also, like, it has a, it has a reputation, too. Um, uh what, I mean, that may not be the way that you think of the bridge. I'm talking about, obviously, like the, the suicide, uh, the amount of suicides that have been associated with the bridge, people jumping from it. When you think of the bridge, what do you think? 
Uh, when I think of the bridge, I'm generally just thinking of it as a really neat old landmark. And now uh, they had that campaign, so there's the lights on the bridge that make it a, a really interesting uh, feature of the city at the nighttime too. So usually that's what I'm thinking about. My brother proposed to his wife on, in the streetcar. Yeah, it's kind of a funny story. They were heading out, and so just before they headed out back home, because they used to live out east, he decided he was going to ask, and so she was a little annoyed because <laughs> there was an extra stop before the airport. And my dad was with us in the car, and he's like, oh, I've been on that before. And I was like, Dad, he's going to ask, oh, okay, I'll come along and stuff. So it was kind of funny, but it worked out great in the end. So. What, how did he do it? How did he propose? Um, he waited until streetcar was right in the middle kind of the best view of the river and the city and then he just kind of stood up and asked her and I think she was pretty surprised because it didn't seem like a moment when you would be doing that but he had me there ready to take pictures and stuff which um, was natural because I take a lot of pictures all the time anyway so yeah I think she was surprised and happy in the end so yeah that's sweet right so um so our job today is to pick one particular thing to focus in on i heard at one time it was the tallest bridge in north america i don't know if it's true but that's i heard and i don't remember where i heard it but i remember hearing that about the bridge too well, let's make a list let's make a list of everything you're curious about <laughs> So I got out a sheet of paper and a pencil, and we wrote down Susan's questions about the height of the bridge, a rumor about deaths associated with the building of the bridge, who the engineers on the bridge were, and what the old streetcars on top used to be like. Assistant producer Omar Salafu and I knew some of them from Susan's email. Would you be satisfied with any of these questions being a topic for yes. this episode? Yep, I think that would be great. Well, I feel like I, I, I'm interested by this second question here yeah. did anyone die during the construction of the bridge because it is something that so many people have heard but aren't quite sure if it's true um so it feels like it's of public interest um and also omar pointed out that it it gives an opportunity to talk about labor history too which we haven't had much of a chance to do on the podcast um about the lives of the people who worked on the bridge yeah that's true um it would be interesting to learn a little bit more about the lives of the working people in Edmonton at that time as well. So yeah. Um, are you okay with it? Are you okay then if we yeah. go for that one? Yeah, and it probably brings in a lot of the other questions at the same time anyway when you're looking at that one too. So yeah, that okay. sounds good. So I always like to ask people, uh, depending on what we find out about this bridge, what will it mean to you, do you think? What will it mean to me? Well, it would give me a different perspective on the bridge I suppose if I found out that this was true although I know you know from people talking about the bridge you know now it's a spot for for people who uh who want to or are thinking about committing suicide so that's been an issue that's been talked about um 
yeah, it would be a sad thought to know that that's kind of run through the whole history of the bridge, wouldn't it? Hmm. I don't. I I think it is a sad thought, but it, uh, it's it's one that I don't want to shy away from. Yeah. Um. um I, I've had a friend who committed suicide um, by jumping off that bridge, um, and I. Yeah, Trevor Anderson made a short film about the bridge. Um, oh, I've heard about it. I haven't seen that film, but I've heard about it. Yeah, he talks about um, this story too, and I I don't know what his source is on that, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm really curious about it. Um, but I feel like yeah, it is. It is a bridge that is like it's iconic and it's beautiful, and also it does have sort of this air of death around it. Okay, well. Um, let's dig into this potentially morbid, but important question. Yes. Okay. That sounds good. Let's do it. Let's find out. Let's find out. A lot's changed in the century since the high level bridge was built. Today, it stretches across the North Saskatchewan river to connect the North and South side of Edmonton. But when construction started on the bridge, the South bank was a city of its own, Strathcona. Canadian Pacific or CP rail drove the construction of the bridge to get its trains on the North side of the river. Today, the rail line on the top deck is only used for that novelty streetcar service. By the way, did you know my grandpa Dave used to work for CP Rail? Well, the bridge still sits on four huge concrete piers that make it level with the top of the riverbank on each side, so when you're driving over it, you can get an incredible view, but I read that when it opened in 1913, the speed limit for cars to enjoy that view was 10 miles per hour. We figured the best place to start comparing those differences and to look for an answer to Susan's question was the City of Edmonton Archives. We'll head there in a moment, but first, a word about our sponsors. Let's Find Out is supported by the Edmonton Community Foundation, makers of the Well Endowed podcast, where they speak to folks who are trying to make Edmonton a better place to live. And in their May episode, the Edmonton Arts Council's Sanjay Shahani is on the show talking about the development of the city's next 10-year arts and heritage plan. I'm going to admit, I have not been following this very closely, especially considering that my whole position as Historian Laureate was created out of the last 10-year plan. If you're like me and you're too busy or lazy to get informed about it on your own, listen to the Well Endowed Podcast. They'll get you up to speed. TheWellEndowedPodcast.com. All right, back to the story. On a surprisingly snowy day in April, with slush swirling all around, Omar and I met Susan at the City of Edmonton Archives in the old Prince of Wales Armories downtown. Okay, uh, we are looking for um, any records that might uh, pertain to the building of the High Level Bridge and worker safety. Atlas, one of the new reference archivists, took a peek for files while we flipped through the card catalog for government records to search through. There's a whole lot on traffic regulations. Uh, Scrapbook from town city clerk's office containing clippings of a council issues, especially regarding the bullion investigation. You can look up anything you want. <laughs> this is like wide open. Wow. I think I could spend days and days here. Um, reports to city council. Ah, correspondence with the city of Edmonton engineers department relating to the construction and maintenance of the high level bridge, 1908 to 1953. Sure, why not? That looks like a good one. And then Atlas brought over the boxes we requested. It was a couple more than we thought it would be. Um, yeah. Oh. Yep. oh gosh! Wow. Wow. Okay, that's a <laughs> okay. lot. More okay. boxes. <laughs> yeah. 
It's not all of them. Um, you wrote down specific files. Yeah. That's not everything in the boxes, but it's easier just to bring everything. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Love your tie, by the way. Oh, thank you. Very old-looking paper. Yeah. Almost feels like we should be wearing gloves. Should we? I don't know. I'll try to be careful. Um, Those government records were kind of a bust. We chased one chain of documents that turned out to be a red herring because there was another bridge being built at the same time. But then the good stuff arrived. Folders full of newspaper clippings and other papers directly related to bridges. Like... Getting a box of oranges instead of having to wander around a forest looking for orange trees. All right, clipping files. These are usually juicier than going through the raw archive. First train on the high-level bridge, June 3rd, 1913. This is just a list of bridge openings in Edmonton. That's interesting. <laughs> I love the attribution of this article. The third column, City Bridges by Old Timer. In quotation marks. The North Saskatchewan River is many things to Edmonton. To lovers of beauty, the thousand facets of the river and the va and valley are a never-ending source of delight. The historian sees the river as a highway which led the white men to this part of the Northwest. On the other hand, the practically-minded traffic expert sees the river as a barrier across the lifelines of a bustling city. The engineer sees in it a challenge. For almost eight decades, Edmontonians have been doing their best to meet the challenge. What year is this from? I don't know, but it describes events that happened in 1953. Around, oops. Mm. So it talks about sort of the history of how we got across the river. John Walter's Ferry, the Low Level Bridge in 1900. Uh, the low level was a marvel in its day, but within a decade, Edmonton, by then a city and soon to embrace its sister city, Strathcona, had grown hopelessly, oh, 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 had, had grown to the point where just one bridge was hopelessly inadequate. Moreover, the CPR had decided to move across the river, and consequently, the high-level bridge came into being. The $2 million structure at the time, the fourth largest in Canada, was opened in June 1913. Hmm. It's easy to get lost going through files like this. We'd start scanning for articles about workers, and then one of us would space out for a while, reading about something else in the folder. Sorry, I get caught up in some of the fun names that things have back then. Such as? Point Lapee Creek. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got to the folder of clippings specifically about the high-level bridge. Okay, the first thing here is a memorandum of agreement made this day, the 30th, the day of November, 1909 between the city of Edmonton, hereafter called the Corporation of the First Part, and the Calgary and Edmonton Railway Company, hereafter called the C&E Company of the Second Part, and the Canadian Pacific Railway Company, hereinafter called the Pacific Company of the Third Part. I didn't know there was such a thing as a Calgary and Edmonton Railway Company, so that's something new for me. Do you want to flip through this, see what's interesting? Maybe I'll take the next layer down. Okay. Seems to have been a lot of dispute over who was going to pay for the bridge, which is funny because this is 19, 1910, like right before they amalgamated. 
The uh, Twin Cities Agree on Bridge question, January 14th, 1910. The agreement which provides for a grant of $50,000 in return for single fares will be submitted to the Strathcona Burgesses about the middle of February. So Strathcona agreed to pay for part of it. Apparently it was contentious, and I don't know, I think that's funny, because two years later, they merged with Edmonton. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually generally interested how much of this file is just, like, debating on the details of the contract and how much is actually of the bridge being built because mm-hmm. building a bridge is not an easy feat so there must be a lot of coverage on that yeah uh august 22nd 1910 Edmonton bulletin work night and day at high level bridge excavation work on the north side will be completed by thursday john gunn says after next week work will continue night and day Quote, we've erected a blacksmith shop and office, said Mr. Gunn. We have a large bunkhouse nearly completed and will soon be in a position to put on a large number of men. In two weeks, we shall be ready for the Raymond Pyle Company of Montreal. It sounds like they were living there, not just working night and day, but they lived there, even in their off hours. Cold weather will be allowed to cause no delay, as we shall house the piers and supply the necessary heat either by steam or by the use of stoves. At least they were giving them heat. I wonder if it was heat for the workers or for the concrete. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, here we go. That's an article from July 3rd, uh, July 31, 1942. And it's uh, about the high level bridge being th- 30 years old. And it says, Uh, The opening of the bridge was a memorable occasion proudly citizens watched as the Great Bridge drew the vision of a greater Edmonton before their eyes, costing $2 million. It was the fourth largest bridge in Canada at that time. Four men lost their lives during its construction. Oh, wow. Hmm. Okay, so we we have a starting point. Four men. And that's unfortunately all it says about that particular topic. We had a starting point, and a few flips away, we ran into a lot more detail. Oh wow, there you go. Here we go, um, a description. November 21st, 1910, Bulletin. Workman killed by pile driver. Luke McDonough, workman on high level bridge meets instant death. Oh, this is pretty graphic. Head was crushed beneath huge hammer of pile driver. Coroner's jury returns verdict of accidental death, freeing contractors. Between 11 and 12 o'clock Saturday night, Luke McDonough, a young workman employed by John Gunn and Sons in the high-level construction work, was crushed to death under the hammer of a pile driver. McDonough was a member of the night shift, and in company with some other men, was operating a pile driver. It was his duty to stand on the platform of the pile driver and steady the pile while the hammer descended. Shortly after 11 o'clock, work on the driver was temporarily suspended and the pile was slipped out of its place. When this was done, McDonough, curious to see what was going on below, stepped under the rapidly descending hammer, forgetting that although work had ceased, the hammer was still to come down. I'm not too familiar with construction terms, but the best I can explain it, a pile driver smashes really long poles deep into the ground to support big structures like these concrete bridge piers. The description in this article from the Empton Bulletin is... is pretty grisly. It says the hammer crushed Luke's skull and face beyond recognition and that he died immediately on sight. They called a doctor anyway. The local coroner led an inquest, and the jurors ruled an accident. It turns out that Luke was from a small town about an hour's drive south of Edmonton. He was a young man 
McDonough, who is only 26 years of age, comes from Lacombe and had only been employed on the high-level bridge for six days. He was an only son and leaves a mother at Lacombe. The body will in all likelihood be taken to Lacombe for burial. Wow. I'm surprised how not only graphic that article is, but how specific and it names the person. From what I thought, we'd come in and just have like a very vague description of like four people just dead, but it's very personal story. Yeah. Volmar works at the Gateway. Um, would you ever report on something in this level of detail today? Absolutely not. Um, I think most of the death reporting that we would ever do or have done is on suicide, and you definitely tiptoe around the details for that. Um, I don't know about accidental death reporting, but I do know that most of the time people try to stay away from graphic details as to not kind of hurt the family or kind of sensationalize it too much. So standards were different in 1910, that's for sure. I can only imagine what it would have been like for someone who knew him to read that description. That would have been awful. You know, maybe you didn't know what had happened and you were looking at the paper and you found that article. That would be devastating. He'd only been working there for six days. Mm. Only 26 years old. Wow. Three more to find. Yeah. We read about a strike in 1912, which workers started after they said the Canadian Bridge Company ignored their request for fair pay. Wow, this is interesting. There seems to be an editorial here from the journal from October 3rd, 1912, saying that... Um, the strike among the iron workers on the high-level bridge calls for the immediate attention of all the parties to this great undertaking. The early completion of the structure means so much in the public way that everything possible must be done to prevent the trouble being of long duration. Edmonton has shaped its whole future on the early completion of the bridge, and it would be nothing less than a public calamity if at this critical stage of the enterprise it should be thrown back to a serious extent. The differences between the construction company and its employees are of small consequence as compared to the public interests that are involved, and every effort must be made to protect these. Whoa. So the public interest is more important than the workers' interests or those of the company? Is that what that person was saying? Yeah. Is that any different from how we talk about, like, delays in construction projects today, though? I don't know. I, I, I think there are very few things that people care more about than, like, if a bridge is delayed. I'm into 1913 here, and it's not mentioning any other workers. Hmm. <laughs> this is like a Q&A. Um, this may answer some of your questions. It was something I recognized because journalists still do the same thing over email. Just as the bridge was opening in June 1913, the Edmonton Journal had typed up a little survey of questions about the bridge and sent it to the contractor. The replies were written in black pen with a couple of corrections in pencil. Some questions were in the how big is it genre, but some were exactly what Susan was looking for. Are these piers the highest concrete piers in the world? They're among the highest. <laughs> <laughs> How do they compare with other piers in regard to size that you know? No response. Was there any loss of life in the construction of the piers? Three men killed. Number of men employed, 150 men. So by 
1913, the company that did the piers, at least, John Gunn and Son, had counted three men killed. So we had a number from someone around at the time when all this was happening. But it was kind of odd that the contractor cited three deaths when that later article mentioned four. And the information just got more messy and contradictory from there. Susan found another journal article from May 1948 that mentioned three fatal plunges into the river during construction, but it didn't mention Luke McDonough or the pile driver at all. So dangerous was the work that three poor fellows lost their lives by falling from the dizzying heights into the river or onto the ice covered the river the major portion of the time the piers were being built. We flipped through three years' worth of city council minutes after that, hoping maybe there was a discussion of the safety issues on site, or maybe a discussion about a pension paid to the survivors. No luck. Before we left the archives, though, Susan found a newspaper clipping with one more piece of the puzzle. Oh, here is a... I t- There's another article about another one. Oh, really? On the... Yeah. After a somewhat protected session of the coroner's jury in the inquest held last evening into the death of Chris Olson, who died yesterday morning from injuries received while working on the high-level bridge, brought in a verdict of absolving the contractors from blame, one juryman dissenting. The juryman Z.P. Ordaleska held that the accident might have been averted had proper precautions been taken he was sh- oh see this is well this sounds like it was a total another one because that other um article referred to four falling yeah and then this fellow who got hit with the pile driver this fellow uh also was engaged in shoveling clay in an eight foot pit when the cave-in occurred he was extracted by his fellow workmen with difficulty and conveyed to general hospital where he died yesterday morning. Then we read a more recent article by Lawrence Herzog on the Edmonton City's Museum Project website. Lawrence, by the way, was my hero when I first started doing freelance writing for View Weekly because I'd come up with an idea about some old-timey thing in Edmonton and I'd search online for who else had already written about it and Lawrence always had something on Real Estate Weekly about it. And it was always good. Anyway, his article was just another layer of confusion for us in this case. Because he mentioned four deaths on site, Luke, Chris, and then two from falling. What the heck was going on? We packed up our things and brushed the slush off our cars so we could drive to one last place to try to find the answer that day, the Alberta Labor History Institute. We drove down to their building, stomped our boots, rode the elevator up, and found a dark room with nobody inside. Nah, okay, we're good. All right, so, Susan, seems like this is the end of our day today. (laughs) Uh, We've come to the um, building where the Alberta Labor History Institute does have an office, but we've learned that they are volunteers. So we'll have to come back hopefully another day and find out what they can tell us. But it was a fruitful day, I think. What's the most interesting thing you learned today? Um, that's a good question. Well, unfortunately, that four people did, in fact, die building the bridge from a variety of causes. So, but we only know the names of two so far. So hopefully we can find the other two. Does that seem like a logical end to this 
journey for you is learning their names. Is there anywhere else that you would want to go or anything else that you'd want to learn? Well, I always want to learn things. <laughs> but that would be a logical end for this journey, sure. Yeah. To be continued in a moment. First, a message about our network and a cool event coming up in June. Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We're a super team of podcasters making stuff right here in your province. Like The Broadcast, a podcast about women in politics by Trisha Esterbrooks and Alex Zabchuk and their new intern, Danielle. They had a really fascinating episode recently about how Hansa Thalishvar became mayor of the town of Cold Lake, and they got a new episode out about making politics more accessible for queer folks. Listen in at thebroadcast.ca. And we've got a live event coming up. It's another round of Let's Find Out About Richie. Richie is one of Evanston's most fascinating and, dare I say, hip neighborhoods. And two years in a row, its iconic heritage buildings have been on the chopping block. Join us for a live history walk on June 10th. We'll be answering Richie residents' questions about their neighborhood. And you can find a link for your free tickets on our website. So, back to the story. Fast forward a bit. We started our journey in the snow in April but we didn't end up meeting again until a ridiculously sunny and hot day in May at a place called Ezio Ferroni Park on the north side of the river. Why did it take us so long to meet again? Because all those dead ends that we hit at the archives, we just kept running into them over and over everywhere else we looked to. Okay, hello. Uh, thanks for meeting us at the bridge, Susan. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's a lovely day to be out. <laughs> Um, and we're uh, also joined by uh, an another guest from, maybe unofficially from the Provincial Archives? I think it can be officially. <laughs> okay, Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Karen Simonson and I'm a reference archivist at the Provincial Archives of Alberta. Thanks for joining us, Karen. Omar, you were just uh, uh, mentioning it's funny to be physically by the bridge now, at last. I spent a couple of hours this weekend transcribing all our research and actually physically seeing the bridge in person is is very strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so this has only happened maybe once before on the podcast, but we weren't able to find out everything we, we sought out. <laughs> we, um, we started out with your question of, uh, whether it was true that workers had died during the construction of the high-level bridge. We did find out that that was true, and then we sought out their names, and we could only find two out of the four names. But I want to give us some credit for like the process that we went through. A brief overview of the sources that we looked in. We looked through the city archives files for the high-level bridge, together with you, Susan. Yeah. The city council minutes from 1910 through 1913, which I felt like that was like a fair effort. We looked through the Peels Prairie Province's collection of newspapers for that period. We asked the Manitoba archives if they had files for John Gunn and Sons, the contractor on the bridge. We talked to CP Rail's communications department. We talked to Lawrence Herzog, who wrote an article about this bridge that mentioned the four deaths that several other sources mentioned. Um, we looked at the Edmonton Journal article on the bridge. We talked to the Alberta Labor History Institute. Uh, we talked, I, you weren't, I, I don't think part of this particular conversation, we talked to Trevor Anderson, a filmmaker who made a short film about the bridge, also, who mentioned that workers had died, but he he said his film was meant to be almost, like, mythological. It wasn't meant to be, like, a journalistic product, so um, he didn't do a lot of fact-checking, was what he said about it. 
Um, and he was probably looking at the same source as we were. Um, we, I found a poet named Kath McLean who wrote a, a poem song about Luke McDonough, that one worker that we had read about. Um, she didn't know the answer either beyond Luke's name. Um, and then I think maybe that like one of the most interesting uh, places that we that we tried to look for information was at the provincial archives. So uh, Karen uh, um, graciously helped me the other day, and it was pretty funny. Um, I walked in <laughs> expecting to have to explain our whole saga, and uh, Karen, you were at the desk, and what did you say to me? I had seen a Facebook post you had made the day before, and so I was already kind of looking into to the question and looking back at the notes I had from five years ago uh, when I'd done some research on the high-level bridge. So it was, yeah, a nice coincidence. <laughs> but, like, you, I think that what you opened with was, are you here for coroner inquiry files? <laughs> Which has never happened to me before. <laughs> um, and you already had photocopies of some of two things. So do you mind if we talk about these? These are the registration of death for um, the two workers who were who we've been able to locate who were killed in the construction. Um, the provincial archives has a large um, collection of these. Um, so any death over 50 years, you can access through these death registrations. So um, there's also the medical or the certificate of cause of death that is also included in these. So. They are um, often a vast wealth of information on people who have um, uh, died in the province. There were some interesting details even on these documents. Like, I had only read the, the worker who, who died in the cave-in. Um, I had only read his name as Chris Olson, but this has a little more detail on him and where he was from, too, Karen. Do you mind? So, yeah. So, he was. his full name looks to be Christian Olson, and he was um, originally from Norway, and his profession is listed as laborer, um, and he was 36 years old at the time. Um, I guess the interesting thing on his death registration is it doesn't actually mention the high-level bridge. <laughs> um, it does say accidental death and earth falling on him, but uh, not a more specific location. Um, and perhaps that's because I think he died the day after the accident too in hospital. But for Luke, it does say um, that he was working on the high-level bridge when he passed away. Yeah. These files were kind of interesting. I wouldn't have necessarily thought to look for coroner inquest files, um, but Marlena Wyman, the new historian laureate, suggested it because she used to work at the provincial archives. And um, this was really useful for finding more information about Luke and Christian. But um, it, it, without knowing a name to begin with, you just kind of have to do a raw flip through the files to find anybody else who might have been involved in this. Um, so Karen was helping me uh, try to find those. Uh, I started around file 110 from that collection and got up to file 158, but the pile left to get to the end of the construction of the bridge would have been another 300 or so files. So it's possible that the information is in there, but oh, it would take a lot more research. But hey, we were able to find some cool stuff about Luke and Christian. Um, and so this, this package uh, includes a lot of information. One of the things is like an, an invoice. Um, <laughs> some of it's just like a general summary of the jurors that are involved in the inquest. This is probably the, the most 
useful single document, I think, out of, out of these. Um, there's an Inquisition file, yeah. Um, so Susan's looking at the one for Christian, and I'm looking at the one for Luke. And um, you can see the stamps, um, the little seals that each of the jurors had to attach to say that they agreed with the what was written here as conclusions. So for Luke's, um, it says, uh, an inquisition taken for our sovereign lord the king at the house of the city police station in the city of Edmonton on the 20th day of November 1910 um, and it says that the jurors uh, do upon their oath say that Luke McDonough came to his death by accident something of duty as a laborer on a pile driver at the high level bridge at Edmonton and um their conclusion basically is that it was an accident, and um, all the jurors signed off on that, as did the coroner, um, E.A. Braithwaite, is that his name? That's yeah, anyway, these documents are, are worth perusing if you want to take a peek through them later. You did some research, right, Karen, on the bridge uh, for an exhibit with the archives a couple years ago? Yes, for the Bridges Centennial, the Provincial Archives had an exhibit with photos and some text, and so I had done kind of what you did, looking through the inquest files, hoping to find the names, and it was only these two that I was able to find, so yeah, I was a little <laughs> frustrated at not being able to find those other two, because it would seem reasonable that they would also have inquest files as well, since these two did, so unless perhaps if there was no body recovered, if that might affect things, but you would think there would still be a mention in the paper that someone had fallen from the bridge because it did seem to get reported pretty well and having looked at a lot of the early newspapers they often did a lot of the comings and goings in the city so it seems like it would have been newsworthy. So we've heard that there is a plaque somewhere near here um, with a little bit of the history of the bridge. I actually haven't seen this plaque. Have you seen it? Karen? I think it's on the other side from where we are so we just have to kind of this north side of the river, but on the other side. Okay, um, shall we try to walk across and give it a look? Yeah. Okay, sounds good. We walked in that awkward loop you have to do to get around to the side of the bridge by the legislature. Across four crosswalks and down a sidewalk, back to the bridge. If this happens to be how we find out the answer to this question, <laughs> I will be both pleased and exasperated. That would that would be shocking. That would be shocking. <laughs> okay, so we're at the north end of the bridge. We're like right where the bicycle path kind of ends, and there's this stone rectangle with a plaque on it. Um, who would like to do the honors of, of reading the plaque out loud for our mic to see if we have the answer? Susan, would you like to? It says, Historical Civil Engineering Site, the High Level Bridge, Edmonton, Alberta. Construction of a bridge across the North Saskatchewan River was first proposed by the, by the Canadian Pacific Railway in 1903. After extended negotiations with the government and the cities of Edmonton and Strathcona, construction began in 1910 under the direction of P.B. Motley, engineer of bridges for the CPR. The first train crossed the bridge in June 2nd, 1913. 
Originally, the upper bridge deck carried trains and the city's electric streetcars, while vehicular and pedestrian traffic used the lower deck. Today, the high-level bridge has become a city landmark and remains an integral part of the city's transportation network. This plaque was unveiled on April 9, 1987 by the Honourable John Getty, Premier of Alberta, in the, government, in the commemoration of the Canadian Engineering Centennial 1887 to 1987. Hmm. Damn. We came all this way for a press release. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's too bad. They don't mention the workers at all. Nope, nothing about the workers. Nothing at all about the workers. Susan, how do you feel? Um, I'm a little disappointed. I know you know, as an Edmontonian, you hear the rumor that people died building the bridge. Part of me wished it wasn't true, but part of me knew it was probably true. And then to only be able to find two of the four names is a bit annoying, because, I don't know, it feels like there should be some recognition of these people having died in, in service to our city and the transportation network. Why do you think, I mean, I feel the same way. I feel annoyed. Um, why do you think we feel annoyed about this? But, like, we know there are workers who've died, like, working on, like, sewer systems or, like, at, like office buildings and stuff, and they don't all have plaques. Why, does, why do you think this feels particularly frustrating? I don't know. Maybe it's just a reminder of how long these kind of things have gone on and not been maybe recognized as much as maybe they should or could be. I don't know. Maybe that's why. Omar? I think for me it's... I agree with your sentiment, and it's probably because the bridge is so prominent in Edmonton's, uh, like, history and also in Edmonton's, I guess, identity, and the fact that a big part of building it and creating it was death and was loss of life through negligence or otherwise, and... There is no real recognition, um, and it's very, as this episode was showing, it's very hard to find even details about any of the lives that were lost, so, yeah. Yeah. Karen, do you add? Um, I was thinking the same, because I think the bridge is so iconic, the fact that they've kind of gone up unrecognized and their sacrifice has just vanished, it's, it's a little bit sad, so at least this is kind of bringing recognition to a couple... <laughs> couple of them and yeah but yeah it's incredibly frustrating not to be able to find that now I think I'd read it might have been three or four so this might be just one that's unaccounted for but still frustrating nonetheless there are there there are still avenues to go down but this feels like sort of an endless rabbit hole um this is an arbitrary place to leave it but hey we got to put out a podcast this month so <laughs> might as well end here I guess I feel sad that we weren't able to find out their names because it feels important to me too to like know what went into the building of this thing that is so important and iconic and so much a part of our daily lives like the high level bridge it feels very viscerally connected to my life i've i've driven across it biked across it taken the streetcar across it done i've done all the, the things across it except maybe take a cp rail train <laughs> um yeah it feels like a shame but I'm, I'm glad that you gave us the opportunity to learn more about it. Um, I definitely feel like I get it more. Knowing that Luke and Christian 
that they both died in November too. It really gave me a, a picture of like they were both working at night and like a, a cold November. Um, that definitely paints a, a more stark picture than I had before. And I also wasn't sure whether this was true at all. So thanks for giving us the opportunity to look into that. Well, thank you for looking into it and uh, helping me find out things that I didn't know before. Perfect. Want to add anything, Omar? I, I think that was a great place to end. Um, and I was, it was an honor being a part of this amazing search and my time with this show. There was a young man, there was a young man, there was a young man. You can't make a gesture without weighing it, counting its cost. What do I owe you? What do I owe you? That's an excerpt from There Was a Young Man, Kath McLean's poem about Luke McDonough. Thanks for listening to Let's Find Out. This podcast was produced by Omar Salafu and me, Chris Chang and Phillips. This was Omar's last official episode as our assistant producer, but you'll probably see him drop in as a guest down the road. It's been a pleasure working with you as always, Omar. Thanks again to the Edmonton Heritage Council and the Edmonton Historical Board for providing funding to allow me to work with both him and Samantha Power this last year. We want your questions about Edmonton history. Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, and letsfindoutpodcast.com. Don't forget, we have a live history walk in Ritchie on June 10th. There's a link for free tickets on our website. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram under Let's Find Out Podcast. Okay, thank you time. Thank you to Susan Paget, to Karen Simonson at the Provincial Archives of Alberta, to Melissa McCarthy, Tim O'Grady, and Atlas at the City of Edmonton Archives. Sorry, Atlas, I didn't catch your last name. And to many people, including Trevor Anderson, Kath McLean, Marlena Wyman, Ken Tingley, Shirley Lowe, Lawrence Herzog, Winston Gerlich, Monica Walker, and Alvin Finkel for their research help. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting this podcast, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the soaringly lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Artwork for our logo by Andrea Hergy at Mount Pioneer Design. All right, that's it for this month. Until next time, keep your questions coming. tried the Edmonton bookstore um, because they have lots of like old-timey history books about Edmonton um, they had no real suggestions I JG uh, McGregor is like a historian of Alberta I looked through one of his books that covers this time period nothing um,